success of your mission will depend on all of you working together as a team. I'll be your captain. Mother, I was reading about a fellow named Tom Edison who's working on an idea for snap-on electric lights. I'll believe that when I see it. That's my wife, Sarah. How old is the Earth? How was it formed? These and other questions about our watery planet have intrigued man since the beginning of time. I'm looking for a little more adventure. He's heading for a little bit of fun now. I'm hoping for a little more excitement. Time to be moving along. You see your true colors shining through those brilliant true colors. Eastern Airlines Flight 25, your vacation flight to cool Caribbean lagoons, now ready for boarding. Last there, it'd be too late to alter course, mateys. And mind well this warning, dead men tell no tales. Ye come seek an adventure and salty old podcasts, eh? Sure, you've come to the right place. And now, Lou Mangello's WDW Radio Podcast. Welcome back to the WDW Radio Show. This is show number 16 for the week of May 27th, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and I'm back from Walt Disney World with my trip report and some wonderful information, including some attraction and restaurant reviews, cast member stories, news and rumors, and some true insider information about something new coming to one of Walt Disney World's theme parks early next year. This trip also afforded me the chance to meet Jeff Pepper face-to-face, so he'll join me to talk about the trip and some of the experiences we shared along the way. There's a lot more to this report than just a summary of our trip as we include a review of the Grand Fiesta Tour, suggestion about how to possibly improve the ADR, Advanced Dining Reservation System, some dining reviews, and introduce the first of a new segment called Hidden Treasures, where we discuss the experience of an Illuminations cruise. I also came back with an exclusive interview with Mark Seppala. He's the Senior Design Manager for Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, and if you've ever purchased a souvenir, decoration, art, or collectible, chances are he's had a hand, literally, in creating it. He shares fascinating stories about his career at Disney, some of the legendary artists and animators he's met, the process of creating merchandise and Disney pins, and even offers tips and suggestions for someone looking to join the Disney Design Group. Of course, I'll cover this week's Walt Disney World news and views, as well as take a trip to the Walt Disney World rumor mill, where we look at some rumors about merchandise, FastPass, Soren, and more. Unfortunately, this week, I ran out of time, so I was not able to get to your emails, but I do play your voicemails at the end of the show. Also, many of you have asked for it, and I'm happy to announce that the WDW Radio Merchandise Shop is now open with a variety of shirts, hats, mugs, and more, with new products being added soon. Be sure to visit the WDW Radio Show website at wdwradio.com for the link to the store. And I also want to say Happy Memorial Day to those listeners in the United States and stationed around the world. 
I want to give a personal hello to anyone listening in the armed forces and thank them for all they do. Please remember that this day is more than just a day off of work or school. Please take a moment to thank a veteran for their work and sacrifices. So with that out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. WDW Radio Show News and Views Report. Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. This week's news segment starts over in Epcot, where we have news coming out of both Future World and World Showcase. First, the new Epcot character spot opened on May 21st, 2007. As I rumored on an earlier show, the new meet-and-greet area has characters with technology and science-themed backdrops behind them. Guests can visit the characters in order as guided by cast members, with operating hours currently running between 9am and 5.30pm. The five character-themed areas are, in order, Transportation with Mickey, Space-themed with Goofy, Energy with Chippendale, Nature with Pluto, and Communication with Minnie Mouse. Also in Epcot, I talked previously about the Epcot's Leave a Legacy kiosk being removed from the base of Spaceship Earth. Well, it now appears that Leave a Legacy sales will end completely on June 16th. Epcot's going to discontinue the sale of any new tiles on that date, although the tiles already sold will remain on the structures at the entrance to Epcot. There has been rumor of them removing the monoliths and moving them to another location in Future World, but I will report on that as rumor as new information becomes available. Over in World Showcase, there is new construction that has been going on inside the Mitokoshi department store. In addition to the refurbishment taking place in the restaurant areas above, construction inside the store is ongoing as well, although a new high-end jewelry store has now opened in an enclosed area at the back of the store. Bookings are now underway for the Little Ones travel time at Walt Disney World, and if you're thinking about traveling to Disney with your toddler and or preschooler, now may be the best time, as Disney has once again brought back the Little Ones travel time promotion for late August with a resort package and perfect for people traveling with young children. Disney just announced the special package for vacations between August 26th and September 22nd, 2007. That includes things like a five-day, four-night stay at a value resort, Magic Your Way theme park tickets, and a free dining plan. Packages start at just $993 for two adults and one child aged 3 to 9. So what is Little One's travel time, do you ask? Well, during this very special time of year, Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom opens an hour early on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays for Disney Resort guests and their kids to explore such popular attractions like It's a Small World, Peter Pan's Flight, etc., Also during this time, there's plenty of special interactive events and things that are going on, such as being able to play Catch with Goofy and enjoy playing a game of Simon Says, or Peter Says, really, with Peter Pan. There's lots of other games and activities specifically designed for young kids without the rest of the crowds being there at that time. One of the big draws is the Playhouse Disney in Concert series. That has performances by lots of Disney characters and channel favorites like the Doodlebots, Johnny and the Sprites, Dan Zanes. Those go on every Thursday through Sunday during the travel time between August 26th and the 28th. For more information or to book a Little One's Travel Time package, I highly recommend contacting the Magic for Less Travel. You can find a link to their site on the WDW Radio Show homepage. Note that the number of rooms allotted for this offer is limited, so I suggest you do look into this and book soon in order to take advantage of this special offer. 
Speaking of things for the kids, there is a new policy coming into effect for children eating at table service restaurants in Walt Disney World. Disney announced earlier this week that its table service restaurants will start providing free refills on children's drinks, including juices, milk, bottled water, and soda, and that's going to start on May 31st. Though not something specifically Walt Disney World related, I did want to mention something that was brought to my attention about something that Disney is doing that struck me on, on really a personal level. Uh, thanks to a combined effort between the Build-A-Bear Workshop and the Walt Disney Company, thousands of make-your-own Winnie the Pooh plush bears are going to be sent to children's hospitals in three countries through the Starlight Starbright Children's Foundation. Every time a guest makes a Winnie the Pooh of their own at a Build-A-Bear Workshop location and online at buildabear.com, they're asked to make another one at no charge to them, which is going to be donated by Build-A-Bear to a young Starlight Starbright child at a local children's hospital. This incredible promotion is going to take place at all the Build-A-Bear locations in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. through June 30th, 2007. This program is part of the year-long activities known as the Year of Friendship in celebration of the 10th birthday of the Build-A-Bear Workshop. They will be, be participating in a number of charitable giving programs. And they say, quote, Winnie the Pooh represents friendship and the simple joys of childhood, making him the perfect character to be part of Build-A-Bear Workshop's A Year of Friendship campaign. That comes from Jeff Hoffman, Vice President of Disney Worldwide Outreach. Now, I said this is a personal story for me as I have been working with the Starlight Starbright Foundation for a number of years through what I call my Disney World Trivia Dream Team Project. That is a fundraising effort to help send pediatric cancer patients to Walt Disney World. My father is a cancer survivor, and after having gone with him to treatment and seen so many children at Sloan Kettering in New York City, I wanted to find a way to help them now. And I didn't, and I didn't mean just through donations for research, etc. So since that time, I've been donating a portion of the proceeds from any books or merchandise I sell as well as donations taken through the site to the Disney World Trivia Dream Team project. Now, Disney Dame 2004, that's Pat, brought this to my attention, which is appropriate since she has really been the driving force behind the Disney World Trivia Dream Team auction, which was held last year and will be again this year at the Magic Meets event in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks to her efforts and the efforts of all the volunteers from DisneyWorldTrivia.com and Fred Block, who allowed us to hold the auction at his event, and everybody who's donated to the cause, either directly or indirectly, we've been able to send three families to date to Walt Disney World to look for even more this year. Pat will probably come on the show soon to talk more about some of the special things we have planned and available at this year's auction. For more information about the auction or the DisneyWorldTrivia.com Dream Team Project, you can visit the, the WDW Radio website show notes page. Finally, over at the Animal Kingdom Villas, Disney has begun taking day one reservations at the Animal Kingdom Lodge Villas only from current Disney Vacation Club members with Animal Kingdom Villas points. These, they were allowed to book the 5th and 6th floor converted rooms in the existing Animal Kingdom Lodge, also known as the Jambo House. These villas were made available for stays starting on September 1st, but I'm also being told that late summer bookings may be available as well. On June 6th, Animal Kingdom Villas reservations will open to all DVC members, and when you book, the member service cast members may probably tell you that you may experience some construction noise during the day uh, at the Animal Kingdom Village accommodations. That noise may spill over into the regular Animal Kingdom Lodge rooms, although work is expected to be isolated to the villas areas and not inconvenience other guests, but it is something that you should be made aware of. I'll put a link up in the show notes to the Disney Vacation Club website. As always, if you have any news that you'd like to share, send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW.
Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. This week's visit to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill starts off with, what else? Food. As there's a possibility of new dining coming to Walt Disney World, listener Erica wrote to me and said, Good morning, Lou. I hope this note finds you well. I love your show and have been a listener since the very first episode of the old show. I never thought I'd be the one to supply a rumor living way out in Texas, but I have one, although it's small and not very specific. McAllister's Deli is a great chain restaurant with several in our area, and they serve the best pig potatoes anywhere. When my husband went in the other night to pick out our carryout order, he was wearing a shirt we purchased in our Disney cruise, which reads, The beatings will continue until morale approves a la Pirates. Anyway, the manager asked my husband where he got his shirt, and they struck up a conversation about Disney. The manager got very excited and told my husband that Disney was flying out all the corporate people, our local manager included, down in October for McAllister's annual convention and putting them up at the boardwalk, and that during the convention, there was going to be an introduction of McAllister's on Disney property. My first question to my husband was, where's it going to be? But he hadn't thought to ask the manager, so he didn't know. Sigh. Guess I need to work hard on converting him into a true Disney detective. Anyway, my guess is that this will be one of the restaurants in the new Western Way expansion. Just thought I'd pass it along. Keep up the great work, Erica. Erica, thank you very much. I did go over to the McAllister's Deli website. Did not find any specific information there, although I will put a link up in the show notes so people can get an idea of what the menu consists of. My guess, uh, especially in light of my recent trip, might be more so that you'd see something like that. Uh, maybe over in Pleasure Island, maybe one of the small venues that used to have house some of the smaller uh, di- you know, walk-up dining establishments. That might be a good location for it. Maybe you'll see something like that uh, in downtown Disney, maybe on the boardwalk. Not really not sure. Western Way is a number of years off. Then again, maybe they are going to start announcing who some of these vendors are going to be, some of these outside vendors. But we will, of course, report more as we hear more. And of course, if anybody else has any information on this, please be sure to pass it along. I'll mention this as a possible spoiler because there are changes coming to the Kilimanjaro Safari attraction, so if you don't want to know what they are, if you don't want to be spoiled possibly, I suggest you fast forward just a little bit because the changes are coming not only to the ride vehicles that we mentioned in the past, but to the attraction and the storyline itself. It seems that certain elements are going to be removed and changed, including the removal completely of the Miss Jobson character. Warden Wilson Matua, his lines and his possibly his plane are going to be removed, Big Red, Big Red and Little Red are going to be removed in name only, although there will still be a mother and baby elephant characters on the attraction. The entire role of the poacher and the whole poacher storyline seems like it is going to be scaled back pretty dramatically, so it is going to change, I guess, uh, people that thought either it was too confusing or they just didn't like you know, where that, that portion of the story was going. So that is going to change. Supposedly, this is an ongoing transformation, so we'll see over the next few weeks and months exactly what is going to happen to the safari attraction and the story. Speaking of the safari, I mentioned, I believe, two weeks ago about changes going to the fast passes that they were testing over at the safari. Well, it looks like these fast pass changes are going to be coming to the Magic Kingdom as well. As many fast pass machines have been reported as being down, as they're being upgraded and converted to the new system that was being used and tested at the Kilimanjaro safaris. Allegedly, these new machines are going to allow guests to swipe their park tickets, kind of like at the checkout of a retail store where you swipe your credit card, instead of actually having to insert them into the machines, wait for it to get them to spit it back out, which should hopefully speed things up on the fast pass lines. These new machines are expected to be up and running around June 2nd. Over in Epcot, rumors about the queue change to Soren are back once again, this time having been mentioned to me in my recent trip by an Epcot cast member. 
Supposedly, he says, big changes are coming to the queue over at Soren to make the long waits not only bearable, but actually quite enjoyable and be considered a more integrated part of the attraction, much like the Everest queue is very interesting, has a storyline to it. I couldn't get very much out of that, but this is something that has been rumored for a long time. Obviously, the waits in Soren are often very, very long, running from 45 to 60, even 90 minutes at a time. They do have some video screens, but very little else other than some long hallways with the high walls in between. So it'll be very interesting to see what if they're they're able to do, if anything, to the queue to make it a little bit more interesting, a little more appealable when you do have such a long wait. Rumors of a third water park coming to Walt Disney World are beginning to circulate, not only to guests, but to cast members, as well as some of the creative divisions in Walt Disney World. The rumor, and again, I stress that this is just rumor, is that this is going to be announced sometime next year. It is probably not going to be at River Country, nor will it be themed around pirates, love it or hate it, but it will be tied to other animated features. Again, as I find out more, I'll be sure to discuss it here on the show. Finally, I wanted to mention once again something I alluded to during the trip report, and that is a new merchandise design for Disney's Animal Kingdom. I was very fortunate to be able to see concept art and mock-ups of new merchandise that's going to be coming to Disney's Animal Kingdom early next year. I was asked not to say anything specific, but I can tell you that it's a radical departure of what you now see in Disney's Animal Kingdom and will eventually see over at Disney's Cruise Line and possibly the other three theme parks. Uh, I can just say this, the merchandise is going to be very beautiful, it's very bright, it's very colorful. It's something that's actually going to be very fun to look at and actually, to a certain degree, play with. And you'll understand more what I mean when this comes out next year. I will say this. This merchandise is not 10th anniversary specific. It is just for a new image that they're trying to bring over to Disney's Animal Kingdom. In fact, you're probably going to see less of those kind of things happening. Uh, you know, anniversary and birthday specific kind of merchandise coming out as opposed to just more global kind of changes to merchandise throughout the parks. This merchandise lets them go in a different direction, opens up new opportunities for them. And again, you'll see what I mean when you see the merchandise. Again, it is beautiful. Uh, if you like Disney, if you like Disney's animated features, I think you are really, really going to enjoy what you see next year. And of course, if you have any rumors that you want to share or you want to comment on anything, call the voicemail, send me an email, or post in the WDW Radio forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I just returned from a solo trip down to Walt Disney World for some research and meetings and wanted to share with you some of my experiences while I was there, including some quick restaurant and attraction reviews, uh, some other surprises and information that I gathered, and along the way, introduce a new segment. I also had the pleasure on this trip to finally meet Jeff Pepper in person and what better place than Walt Disney World. So I wanted Jeff to come on as well, talk about some of the things that we did while we were there, get his views and opinions, and uh, I promise we will try and keep the geek quotient to a minim minimum. Jeff, welcome back, buddy. Hey, Lou. How's it going? See, we met and we're still speaking, so it, it yes. must have been a pretty good trip. <laughs> Frickin' frack do the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it started out... Good, and then just at the very end, again, that, that geek factor just went through the roof and we were in Adventureland, and, and we'll kind of get to that later on. <laughs> we were getting stares from everybody. Yeah, yeah, and not the good kind. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> not the, hey, is that Brad Pitt's there? It's, hey, why are they do those two guys walking around taking pictures of garbage cans and that yes. kind of stuff there? <laughs> 
So we didn't we didn't get a chance to meet up until uh, the second day of trip. Well, I'll kind of just start at the beginning, and you can feel free to chime in along the way. Uh, I got in Thursday afternoon. I took an afternoon flight down to Orlando because I really wanted to get an early start on a short weekend, and I had some meetings early Friday morning. I ended up staying at the Coronado Springs Resort. I stayed in the Casitas Building Four. Room was rooms were very nice. I had stayed there once before. Uh, one thing I had forgot was how big that resort really is, especially with the convention space. Um, it, it's huge. Again, you know, I'm a big fan of renting a car and staying there. Even a bigger fan. Yeah, I checked in. Everything was fine. I headed over to downtown Disney uh, because I was going to meet up with some people and actually ended up having dinner with a listener. I met up with Glenn and we ate over at Wolfgang Puck's, which was awesome. I had, I'm just going to rub it in because you know how much I love food. I had a big kahuna roll. I'm a big sushi fan, which was spicy tuna, cucumber with seared tuna and a garlic ponzu sauce. That was delicious for an appetizer to go along with my pomegranate martini. And one of my favorite meals over at Puck's is the Grandma Puck's Bolognese sauce. I know, I'm Italian and I'm eating Bolognese at a non-Italian restaurant, but it's delicious. It's fettuccine, kind of in a a meat sauce with with veal and pork and beef in it. And dinner was wonderful. I I really, really like Wolfgang Puck's. I think that's one of the the overlooked dining experiences at Walt Disney World. The service in, in the restaurant is exceptional. It has really nice views of the lake behind downtown Disney. And uh, it was uh, Thursday night, it was mobbed. It was an absolute mob scene. I don't think there's a slow time down there anymore after this weekend. So. No. And you know, <laughs> the funny thing was, and I actually asked the people next to me when I overheard them, they ran out of steak. They ran, and, and it wasn't like a, you know, a Saturday night where it was you know 12 o'clock on a Saturday night. This was 9 o'clock on a Thursday, and they were out of all steak. They had no meat, no meat products whatsoever. <laughs> So I, I just thought that was that was a little bit notable. But from there, I went um, over to Pleasure Island, over that new bridge, kind of where the West End stage used to be. There, I met up with Brian from the All About the Mouse podcast, as well as his lovely wife. And Pleasure Island right now really is a shell of what it once was. Um, there's a lot of things that are missing. You really see the streets. A lot of the um, a lot of the venues are empty, and I made reference to this once before. They now have these admission kiosks um so if you want to get your tickets you can do it from there unfortunately you're not able at least i wasn't able to see when i was there figure out how to get your uh annual pass holder discount so when i had to get my my pass for the adventurers club i had to pay full price which again is odd because you can pay either 11 dollars ish for one club or 22 dollars you could buy a multi-club pass but if you want to go to the adventures club you cannot buy a single club ticket you've got to buy the multi club ticket so it basically costs you $22 just to walk into the Adventures Club I'm just yeah I'm totally confused by all that we we um, walked through back in November and actually we um, spent some time in the Adventures Club prior to I guess like like to do the evening sneak preview prior to 7 and um, my kids got a big kick out of it because we didn't have to pay or anything before then but you were, when you were right about talking about the empty shells when we walked up that stretch um, I really used to, when Pleasure Island opened I really enjoyed that stretch of shops right before Adventures Club that was um, yesteryear's um, Navigator Supply. And just all those buildings right there are completely empty. At least they were back in November, is that still the case? Yeah, a a lot of them are empty. Um, A lot of them are changed. There's new things now. There's the Harley-Davidson store. Uh, You'll see that the central central stage is now gone. Behind there, there's a uh, boat dock that you can take the boat over to the Port Orleans Resort down the Sassacola River. The streets seem narrower for some odd reason. And it's funny that you mentioned your kids because it was one thing I took note of was that there was a lot of kids, even late at night. And when I went into the Adventurers Club for $22, there was, 
there were a ton of kids there. In fact, when we were in uh, one of the rooms, there was a four-year-old there. And there was four-year-olds and there was 10-year-olds. And I almost felt as though some of the performers felt restricted by the kids being in there. You see, they, they kind of had to hold back a little bit and kind of tailor some of their material to that because usually it's a little bit more adult, but not, you know, it's not blue. It's just a little bit more adult, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I just felt it odd. Even one of the performers, you know, had, had made a joke to the four-year-old. And he's like, is this what you what your parents normally do on Thursday nights, take you out to bars? and Because you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was must have been 11-ish, somewhere around there. So it was uh it was a little late but you know we could we could spend really and maybe we will one day spend a whole segment on the show talking about the adventures club because if you've never been you should really spend some time walking through exploring and and of course interacting between um you know yourself during the shows and even in between the shows with the cast members go into the mask room and the treasure room and and get to meet all the personalities there because it's a lot a lot of fun a relatively early night for Lou only because I had to get up at the crack of dawn the next morning because I wanted to open the Disney MGM Studios. And uh, when I went, it was empty. Uh, it was actually empty when I walked in the gates at 9 o'clock. I did Rock and Roller Coaster, rock and roller coaster and Tower of Terror. This is kind of pre-quote-unquote research <laughs> trip part. <laughs> um, before I started taking all my pictures and, and doing things like that. And I'll try and put some up in the show notes because you, I have some uh, updated photos of the Toy Story Mania construction. I spent some time on Sunset Boulevard, actually with a, with a cast member friend of mine, Jason, who's a watch artist over at Sunset Club Couture. Incredibly talented guy. Very, very nice guy. If you ever go there, you should walk in, see his work. He does custom watches with really any character you can think of. The guy is very, very, very talented. And uh, if you're into Disney World trivia or Disney trivia, you should go and check out. He has a trivia board in there against the wall right by the window. And he, he has a ton of information, usually about Walt Disney or the history of the company. Um, if you go over, definitely tell Jason um, I said hi. From there, I went to a meeting that I had over at the studios with somebody uh, in reference to something that I alluded to during the rumor section. And that was new Animal Kingdom merchandise coming early next year. And now without trying to sound all spy versus spy, uh, I can't really reveal very much. Suffice it to say that there are some very, very big, big changes coming to Disney's Animal Kingdom as far as merchandise goes next year. Um, he showed me concept art and mock-ups and some of the merchandise. And let me tell you, it is absolutely spectacular. It is something that I've never seen them do before. It's something I've never seen before. And I actually went to Animal Kingdom just to kind of compare what I saw versus what's there now. And I, and I guarantee you're going to like what you see in, uh, in early 2008. Afterwards, I had a lunch meeting over at the Brown Derby. Yes, once again, I'm going to talk about food. <laughs> but before I do, <laughs> I am going to make mention of another awesome cast member. Donna was our uh, server, and she was wonderful. She's been with the company for a long, long time. Very, very friendly, very helpful. Um, she's been with the company, I think, since 1981 or so. And uh, I had a delicious, delicious meal. It was sesame-seared yellowfin tuna cob with avocado chives and cucumber tossed in a wasabi vinaigrette with sweet and spicy noodles for a the low, low price of $20. Delicious, very, very well presented. Awesome, awesome lunch. But I'm going to make a quick deviation here. I was eating a cosmic rays right then. <laughs> which, which is equally as good. Um, well, Go ahead. <laughs> Anyway, the thing that I wanted to mention was uh, about ADRs, and obviously we've talked about this in the past, and the difficulty for getting, and usually we're talking about dinner, but um, when trying to plan for this lunch meeting, I wasn't sure if I was going to eat 
either in the studios or over at Epcot. So I tried to get a couple of reservations at a few restaurants and I couldn't. And it actually took three phone calls for me, you know, over a couple of days to get a lunchtime reservation over um, at the Brown Derby, which was odd, like I said, because it wasn't all that crowded. But it, it got me to thinking, dangerous as I know that is, uh, about the difficulty. And I tried to see if I can come up with some kind of a solution to the ADR issue. And this is what I came up with. And you could tell me what, what you think, if you think this is good, bad, or, or absolutely ridiculous. But for the people that stay in Disney resorts on property, maybe Disney could institute some sort of an automated system to call your room the night before to either confirm or let you cancel your reservation. So, for example, you get back to your room the night before, there'll be a message waiting. And if you hit the message indicating light and calls up and says, you know, good evening, Mr. Mangello. It's tonight, you know, it's, it's Friday, whatever. Tomorrow is Saturday, May 20th, and you have an 8 a.m. reservation at Crystal Palace for a party of four. Click one to confirm, two to cancel, or three if you, you know, for an operator, if it's during operator hours, if you have a question. Um, and it'll do all the reservations you have for that next day. If you don't answer the message or you don't cancel, it won't cancel it for you, but we'll give you the opportunity to say, you know what, I know we're not going to be at the Magic Kingdom tomorrow, so maybe we can cancel this reservation. And again, not a perfect system. Uh, I know it has flaws, but if anything, it may be able to open up, even if it's one or two slots, for somebody to be able to walk up and get a reservation, which is an absolute impossibility right now. Jeff, you're not hysterically laughing, so maybe my idea has no, some I, merit to it. It's 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 sticky all around. I mean, I've listened, you know, to you talk about it on your show. I've listened to I know other podcasts talk about it. I I don't know if there's an easy solution. I mean, you know, I don't know if all the effort that they would have to put into the system you're describing would get the return on it that they would like. Because I still think the vast majority of people out there are going to just keep their reservations and you know up till the very last just in case. It's kind of like their little insurance policy of, you know, where am I going to be and what am I going to do possibly? You know, you're, you're right. It might open up a few um, openings here and there, but it's, I, you know, is it really going to be worth all the effort they would then have to put into that? Right. What, that's I mean, what, that's what, an awful lot of phone calls, you know? Right. What, what's the benefit to Disney? You know, how is that yeah. going to make them money? And, and it's not, other than it, it may um, it may prevent some guest complaints, because I think at some point people will start to complain about the fact that, you know, I'm on the dining plan and I can't eat anywhere. You know, because I, think, I, I, think, I didn't know I had to, to call six months in advance. Right. And I think that's your I think that's what you just hit on what is going to ultimately be the issue here with Disney on it, because Disney isn't going to change until they get this groundswell of just people upset. You know, based on last year, with all the grumblings that, you know, was going on, the very fact that they had to turn, you know, the, the noodle station into a buffet just to be able to satisfy some of this demand makes you know me wonder, you know, when they're going to really. Yeah. start addressing some of these issues they've created a monster in so many ways and it's just interesting whether you know they're they're walking in right into the same scenarios again this year so right. it's and again it don't i mean don't get us wrong we don't think that the that the dining plan or free dining is a bad thing we're just trying to find ways to maybe improve it and to allow for some of the things that you don't have because i think the problem is is most people will not take that affirmative step to say oh you know what i know we're not going to be at the magic kingdom tomorrow let me make sure i call and cancel the reservation I think most people won't do that. So this will, this could possibly give them, you know, an easier way to say, oh, all right, you know, let, let's, as a courtesy at the very least, cancel our reservations so somebody else can get it. But whatever, that's my idea, and I'll, I'm sticking with it for now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after my meetings, I headed over to Epcot 
to, of course, meet Jeff Pepper. But before I did, I stopped over and checked out Project Tomorrow at the uh, at the end of Spaceship Earth. Still one of my favorite rides. And uh, I definitely needed to see it completed before I can give it a, a full and fair evaluation. But what I did see, I liked. I thought that the globe was impressive. The space is wide open, clearly showing that there's much more to come in the future. Uh, I took some audio from the Bodybuilder 3D. I'll, I'll put that in the Disney World Trivia download section if you want to get an idea of what exactly goes on there. Uh, I'll also put some pictures up on the website of some of the coming soon screens so you can see. And uh, Jeff, did you uh, recognize the voice of the, the person that narrated the Bodybuilder? Exhibit. You know what? I, I wasn't. Every time I went, um, I kept. I couldn't get in close enough to do it. There was always a, a few people clustered around, so I was never. I wasn't able to to experience either of the two things. I'm sure people who have seen it will, will pick it up very quickly. And if you want to, nothing really spoilery-ish about it. But if you want to listen to the download, I'm sure you'll be able to pick it up um, very quickly. But uh, the the grand meeting took place in where else but in front of the Grand Fiesta Tour, and that's where you and I finally got to uh, meet face to face. Obviously picking each other out of the crowds by our <laughs> Disney World trivia stuff and our uh, 2719 swag. Thank you, Cafe Press. <laughs> <laughs> and we're the, you're the only one that recognized me. <laughs> I'm not. You, you, you have to make me more famous than I already am. <laughs> so we did, the, uh, we did the Grand Fiesta tour, and Jeff, God, you were a big, obviously, animation fan. You're a big Three Caballeros fan. Why don't you tell me first what your thoughts of the, uh, the new attraction are? Oh, I loved it. I, you know, I, I, you know, I wrote about it on my blog, and I, I, the first thing I said was, "Hey, I'm biased. I was predisposed on this right from the get-go." Um, it's what one of the things I liked about it was it. I, I, I always liked El Rio del Tiempo. I mean, I thought it was a, it was a fun ride, but the thing was, it was very. It was kind of this weird combination of Small World and you know, if you had wings. And then it had the weird Aztec stuff at the beginning. <laughs> right. So, you know, it was always a little disjointed in that regard. And what I like about this is, is it just ties the whole attraction together from beginning to end. And it, I, I, the thing that I've, I've noticed when I've talked to a few other folks, um, if you're a big Three Caballeros fan, if you really like the movies, uh, Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, you'll really, I think you're going to really, really enjoy it because... It has that same feel. Um, the move; those movies were combinations of live action and um, animation, and they use that to great effect in this. But you know, they're utilizing all the existing film screens that were in El Rio de Tiempo. I thought it was very bright. That the animations were beautiful, very vivid, very colorful. Um, the music was great. Again, I can't say yes. I'm a huge Three Caballeros fan because I think many of us probably haven't seen it or haven't seen it in years. Um, we talked earlier about what the storyline was. Had I not known going in, not all that important, I probably wouldn't have known what the story was supposed to be, that they're there for a reunion tour, and then Donald gets lost, and then they meet up for this concert at the end. Again, not all that important in the grand scheme of things, because it's fun. It's a nice update. Uh, the, you know, the characters are clearly highlighted, uh, but they're not, you know, they don't overtake the attraction. Uh, you, you don't feel... but. You all, the other thing, which is good or bad, you don't see them in the plaza, you don't see them in gift shops, which is nice because it doesn't really ruin the integrity of the pavilion. Yeah, it was very, that's, that was very, it's a good point because it was funny is um, I, um, later on after, you know, we had done it, I went back by myself later on the weekend and I made a distinct thinking, wait a minute, when we, when you and I, we kind of rushed in and out. I thought, was there merchandise? You know, I was just going to say that, right. And I, and I couldn't, it took me, forever because you know it's, it's pitch black in there anyway <laughs> you, know, you know and me with my 
old, old man's eyes, you know, I'm bumping into things all the time. But, you know, I finally scrambled around enough and found a little display of Donald Plush. Did, did you see that? No, but you did know, you... Was like, did they sell any DVDs with the movie on it? No. See, that's, that's what... It, there was just... There was like one tiny little almost like a little table that had a bunch of Donald plush and it was strictly Donald plush. And I swear this was leftover Donald plush from years ago because there used to be a time when each they would sell. Um, if you remember the international gateway shops, right? Right. Were very, the merchandise was very much themed to world showcase. It was like very distinct world showcase branded merchandise and they used to have plush and they used to have a plush representation of a character from each country. And Donald was, you know, in his kind of, you know, Serapi kind of three caballeros gear. And I, I really think they just kind of pulled that stuff out because that was the only thing they had. And, and they had they had a few other Donald things that I think were actually merchandise that they pulled over from uh, PhilharMagic. Hmm. Um, it was just a few other Donald items. So clearly they didn't create anything, at least at this point, that was specifically branded the three caballeros or for Grand Fiesta Tour. So it was very underplayed when, you know, when you compare it to, you know, I, I compared, you know, what your point about how it just... You know, they did not overpower the whole Mexico Pavilion, unlike what Nemo and Friends did to Seeds. Right. You know, you had you have Nemo and Friends all over the place, and then you go right into the big merchandise area at the end that is all very specific merchandise to the attraction, and that's that wasn't done here at all. So, and I like that. I like. I'm very happy that they did it that way. Well, I, th- I think they're, they're they're missing out on opportunity because they're introducing a new generation of people to these characters, but they're not giving a chance. For these, for for kids or whomever else who maybe have never seen them before in the the original movie, to go, you know, wow, I really I really like the attraction. Let me see where these guys came from because some people might not know that they were the three caballeros from original movies. I, I would hope maybe to at least give the people the chance to buy the DVD at That's, the end of yeah. the attraction without making it too in your face. And the only thing I can think of on that, you know, and I don't know for sure at all, there might be an availability issue. I don't know if that's something that's, you know, in the vault or if they've pulled it. I know it's available. I've seen it in Best Buy and places like that. But, you know, I, I don't, I'm curious if there just isn't any kind of a great availability on the movie itself to get, you know, quantity of them out there. So. Right. Okay. Well, um, from there, we had a quick uh, bite to eat over at the Tangerine Cafe in Morocco, something I really, really enjoy. I think you get a lot of a lot of good food for not a lot of money. For under 15 bucks, you can get a nice big platter. But, um, Jeff, timing, as I always say, is everything because we, we met up on a good day because a, a cast member friend of mine had uh, bestowed upon me a magical moment. And uh, it's something that we were able to, to share and do together. And this actually is going to lead me into when I was kind of thinking about preparing for the show and the trip report. It's going to lead me into something that I'm going to do, I think, as a recurring segment because I always talk about what I consider to be the hidden treasures of Walt Disney World. So what I'm trying to do is cover a new one each week. Um, it could be anything from something to do around the parks. It could be a little detail. It could be anything. But this is one of my favorites, and this is what we're going to start off with, because we were given uh, a wonderful Illuminations cruise um, that night, uh, which was Friday night. And uh, we headed over to the Bayside Marina. We walked through the gateway to the Bayside Marina. And, of course, it started to pour. <laughs> but, you know, Not just hand- pour. Yeah. yeah they, <laughs> Torrential. They really, the heavens opened up. And yes. uh, I said, you know, boy, it figures. But, you know, as if God waved his hand across the skies 10 minutes before we were supposed to leave, it got beautiful. It dried off, and it was an absolutely perfect night. But th- this was a remarkable experience for a number of reasons. Uh, first... Let me tell you a little about what you can do on an Illuminations cruise. There's a lot of different watercraft you can take from the Bayside Marina, but if you really want to do something very, very special, 
I can't recommend this highly enough. You could take a 24-foot pontoon boat, seats about 10 people. It has drinks and snacks on it. And for about $250, you can get 12 people, 10 adults, maybe a couple of kids. That includes a driver, like I said, snacks, water, soda, things like that. And it'll take you on a cruise around uh, Crescent Lake. And then you park in, in a private spot underneath the bridge to watch the showing of illuminations and it really gives you a very very unique view a unique perspective of uh, of the fireworks show and the water fountains and the barge and things like that and while 250 may sound expensive if you share it with a bunch of people you're looking at maybe 25 dollars or so for uh, for an experience i think that a lot of people don't do or a lot of people can't do because it, it's very very hard to get this is one of these things that you do need to call 90 days out you know start literally start calling 407 WDW play, you know, at five minutes to seven because it does book up that quickly. Uh, if you want to do something really, really special, they actually have special birthday or celebration cruises. You can uh, you can cruise for an hour on the lake. You get the viewing spot. They actually decorate the uh, the boat and things like that. You can find out more if you call, like I said, 407 WDW play. But really, Jeff, in addition to just seeing illuminations and seeing it from here, the thing that made this was so special, other than you being there, of course, was was our cast member because Absolutely. our our driver yes. was Carol, and I, I cannot say enough good things about her. So much so that I actually wrote a letter to Disney. Um, that's how impressed I was because she was wonderful. She made us just feel as if we had known her for years, and we were joking and uh, really, really had a good time. You know, I, I say to a lesser degree that your 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 jungle cruise skipper makes or break your cruise well carol by far made this a really really exceptional time yeah she was tremendous um and it and it goes back right to when we were standing on the dock there and it pouring down rain <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's trying to obviously make the best of the whole situation and you know it it was just you're right she just she just you know when you when you're leading up to it i was i knew kind of pretty certain that you were going to <laughs> go in this direction yeah and I, I can't say enough about her she she was tremendous she was just a lot of fun yeah she she clearly evidenced why i picked cast members to be one of the seven wonders of walt disney world because she typified it uh, as if she knew you know and knew what we were talking about she was um she she was an a, an exceptional exceptional cast member so what do you think of the cruise had you you'd never had done one of those before right no, I've never done one, and I'll be honest with you, I, I've not done, I've probably only done Illuminations about four times, that was probably about the fourth time I did it, um, and I just, it was just amazing, because it was the best viewing I ever had for Illuminations, um, it's, you know, you pull right under the bridge there, um, in between France and uh, Great Britain, and it was wonderful, it was, it was, it was such a treat. Yeah, it, it was, I, we had a great, you know, great. There was a great family with uh, you know with us on the boat there with us, very personable people, and just made it really really fun. Yeah, and it was just the whole experience was wonderful. And like I said, you tour around Crescent Lake a little bit, you head on over uh, by the Disney and Jim Studios past the Swan Dolphin, and she was filled with great stories and and trivia and things like that. So uh, I, I really really highly recommend that. I do consider it to be a hidden treasure of Walt Disney World because I think a lot of people have not done it before. And again, you can take some of these cruises out. You don't have to take them out for illuminations. You can take uh, a lot of different watercraft out from the Bayside Marina right onto Crescent Lake, get some beautiful views of the boardwalk uh, and some of the other venues there. So I'll put a link up where you can get some more information about the Illumination Cruises. And um, and again, Kerry and, and my other cast member friend, thank you very much for really making uh, and, a, and a great experience even better. And uh, I guess my wife is going to listen to this and now I'm so much for my research trips. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
was research. I, I talked about it on the show, so it's research. That's right. <laughs> Jeez. So These people don't know how hard this is at times, you know? It, yeah, I know. You know what? I won't even bother trying to convince anybody that it's difficult to... <laughs> But uh, well, I, okay, I will because Saturday, <laughs> I, Saturday, I was up at the crack of dawn. I, I was uh, at the Magic Kingdom by eight fifteen, getting ready for for the nine o'clock opening, and I spent six hours on Main Street uh, before I even stepped foot anywhere else in the park. I spent six hours on Main Street. I was doing a lot of a lot of recording, a lot of picture taking, a lot of walking around. No secret in preparation for the upcoming Mouse Tour audio tour CDs that I'm getting ready to release. So um, this will give you a hint that I am I made a lot of progress and I am very, very close to getting ready to release Main Street USA. Uh, I met a few listeners there who, who, you know, I think at first were giving me odd looks that I was talking to myself into, into my microphone and then came over. Forgive me that I forget the name of the listener and her mom. Um, I gave some pins and lanyards to but uh, it was actually hard work. It was hard work walking up and down Main Street, <laughs> getting those odd stares from people and, and, and things like that. You were not at the main... You, where were you on Saturday? I was Animal Kingdom. And for what you were doing there on Main Street, I was pretty much covering <laughs> um, Africa and Asia. I was... Um, one of my favorite things, um, you know, I, I, re- I went in immediately and got, you know, Everest out of the way. Um, and the nice thing about Everest is when you do these solo trips, I mean research trips, um, <laughs> you can do that single rider line, and um, that makes uh, it a little bit more beneficial. And actually, I don't even think I needed to do do it that morning because it was um, I kind of got on, got on right away, and got on off, and got right back on again. But um, I really love the um, the uh, God Lou. When I talk to you, <laughs> the I Yeti. You love thing. the Yeti. I don't love the Yeti. I mean, I love the Yeti, but I don't love the Yeti. Um, no, the um, the that. Tiger Trail, come on, God. You know, I can talk about, you know, I can bring out some obscure factors right. from, from 50 years ago, and I can't remember where I was last weekend. The, the Maharaja Jungle Trek. Maharaja, thank you. God. You know people are screaming at their iPods going, I know, they're screaming, you old man, you, what, you know, take some, you know, ginkgo biloba. Senility sets in. God, I'm so... You know, no, see, here again, you know, I could probably quote, like, half the crates I took pictures on <laughs> on that trail. Because I, that's what I was going to get to. As I, There's so much detail that I really, really think is overlooked on that, on that and both the Pongani. I'm probably, I'm probably totally mispronouncing that. Um, on those trails, um, if you look, you got to look at the bulletin boards. There's incredible backstories going on on just some of the notes and things like that that are posted in in those places and that's i was basically again you said people giving you weird looks like you know mommy why is that man taking getting down on his you know knees and taking pictures of that crate you know i'm getting the address kid (laughs) we talked about that later on as we started to kind of tour we did meet up at the magic kingdom and toured around and 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 we'll get to it there because i i actually left i was the magic kingdom all morning most of the afternoon i left in the afternoon i met up with mark seppola over at downtown disney for the interview in front of, in front of the art of Disney, I'm gonna obviously play that on this show. But I went back to the Magic Kingdom again for more in research um, and recording. I uh, spent some trying time trying to get as many pictures as I could, and, and again, I'm getting the weird looks as I'm trying to peer in the windows, the covered windows of the of the Adventureland Veranda Restaurant, trying to see if I can get just a, a small piece of a, of a you know part of the curtain that was pulled back. Uh, I did look in there a little bit. You can see that there were some lights around or some tables that were stacked. But again, people are wondering, again, Mommy, why is that man staring at the window, <laughs> talking to himself, you know, pushing his camera up against it, um, taking pictures of, of all these relative obscurities? Yeah, I headed over to MGM for the rest of the day on Saturday. 
and um, I was kidding with you, I think I told you when I saw you the next day that um, you know you made me very self-conscious when you and Matt did the, the segment <laughs> on MGM, and I thought, I don't remember that, or I don't remember seeing that, so I deliberately went in and had to try to see everything that you guys were talking about and then find some stuff that I could, you know... We guilted you. We, we basically guilted you. You did. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt inadequate. It was well, no, like, oh You God. know what? That's good. I, I'm happy because that's what I wanted this segment to do. I wanted to motivate people to go and take some time, you know, preferably not dragging their family along who wanted to go ride attractions, but taking the time to kind of look around and see uh, and see some of those little details there, but don't don't talk about Matt. You're gonna give him a big head and make him think that anybody was actually listening. Matt, who? <laughs> exactly, perfect. <laughs> but while I was in the Magic Kingdom, uh, over by the hub, I was talking to a member of the Dream Squad, a cast member who I, I actually realized I had met once before. We had struck up conversation, and we got to talking about the promotion because I think you know what a big proponent I am of it, and uh, we talked about some of the things. That are being talked about out there about it. And he says, you know, he says, it's funny. He says, nobody has ever, no one has ever refused a night in the castle. Ever. There are things sometimes that, that people cannot redeem because they need to be done. If you get, if you're awarded a Dream Squad prize, it needs to be redeemed that day. Whether it's a dinner, whether it's a cruise, whether it's whatever. So there are sometimes people have other plans. They're leaving. And they just can't. Not that they say, ah, you know, I really don't want those those DVC points or I don't want the night in the castle. That's it. And, and they're actually, they're, their managers have taken them and shown them some websites where people are talking about some of the, the misinformation that's out there. And it's really a shame because he says it's not true. And, and people, you know, sometimes get, get a negative view of this. But, um, you know, we talked some, and I wasn't looking for anything, you know. And he says, look, you know, the people that walk around with shirts saying, you know, pick me, I'm going to be the next... He says they might as well wear shirts that say, you know, I love Universal, whatever, <laughs> because it, it, it has no bearing. But the one thing I will recommend you do is, like any cast member, and you, again, I'm talking about cast members because I think they are such an important part, go and strike up a conversation with a Dream Squad member, not in the hopes of getting anything, but to talk to them about the promotion because they're, they're, they're great guys and they really, uh, it's, it's so wonderful how they're empowered to do what they do. And he gave me some magic phases. Oh, you want some magic fast passes or whatever? You know, not that that's what I was looking for, but um, it, it's really great. And the one thing I was able to find out was I talked about, how much I enjoy what they do. And he said, well, fortunately, it looks like although the Year of a Million Dreams promotion will stop at the end of the year, their jobs will continue. Their, their positions will remain. So they will be able to keep on doing what they're doing. And I think that is just wonderful. So the Dream Fast Passes might go on for a while. Possibly. Possibly. That's and, very cool. But that you know what? Cool. It's even beyond the Dream Fast Passes. It's Giving, you know, he, he talks about sometimes you see, you know, a family that just needs that little bit of extra magic, a kid's having a meltdown or, or lost their balloon or whatever, and they could just do things, you know, whether it be replace something that they lost or give them a little something that, that makes their trip so memorable and so enjoyable. And he says that's what it's really all about. It's not about these big ticket items. It's about those little things that they can do throughout the day that all the cast members do. So... Again, I'm sorry I climbed on my soapbox about <laughs> and, and, and Well, and I'll throw something in there, too, because um, when um, my family and I were there in November, um, we did not win anything big, but we bumped into dreams being granted right and left. And, um, you know, my son got one of the um, Tinkerbell pins. Um, and the reason he got it is because he and my wife... Uh, went to One Man's Dream while my older son and I were um, doing some of the thrill rides. And because he took his time and carefully walked through 
every exhibit. And then at one exhibit, he struck up a conversation with another little girl that was there and explained something to her that she didn't understand about Walt Disney. The cast member thought that was just the greatest thing in the world, and he they, they gave him you know the, the shared pin, um, the one that you'd break in half or whatever and give to somebody else. It was that there was a lot of spontaneous things we ran into like that, and just they were handing out certificates just for little things, and the kids, you know, you got handed one of those certificates. The kids just their eyes light up; yep. they just think it's the coolest thing in the world. And we were running into that right and left, and it's just you know you're right; it didn't matter. You know, we weren't looking to win anything big. You know, we know what the odds are on, right. on those kind of things. But on so many levels, you know, especially my kids were made to feel very, very special in, in, in a lot of different circumstances. And it was really, really, really good. I mean, I will never at all criticize that program yeah. at all. I think people that do are just are just missing the point entirely. Right. And, and, you know, because it's not about the monetary value of something that you're getting. Uh, when I was at MGM on Friday morning, I was walking around, again, being the geek I am. And I was walking over to Muppet Vision and taking some pictures. I wanted to get a couple more detailed pictures inside the queue and inside the security office. And because it was early, I had went and I just checked under the mat for the key. I just wanted to take another picture of it. And there was a magical moment certificate there. And the cast member walked over to me and she says, oh, you know, congratulations. I said, you know what? That's okay. Don't give it to me. But if it's okay, can I, you know, give this to somebody else? And she said, sure, because I wanted to give it to a child. I I wanted a little boy or a little girl to come in and... It worked perfectly because uh, a minute or so later, a woman and her daughter walked in. I said, come here. Do you want to see something really cool? I said, you see the sign? I told her about the sign and the mat. And she lifted up the mat. And, and of course, the cast members came over and made a big deal. And the woman and the mother and the daughter's face just lit up. I mean, she just beamed. They signed the certificate for her. The mother was videotaping and taking pictures. And it was exactly what it was supposed to be. And I, and I just felt great that I had a little bit you know, of a part in it that I could kind of just share that with somebody. But, you know, that's something that they're going to remember. That's something that they're mm-hmm. going to take home and they're going to treasure. That that little, you know, 25-cent certificate it means more than probably anything else they did on their trip. Yeah, that's exactly the right. My, my kids did the key under the mat as well back then in November as well. They got a big kick out of it. So, But anyway, Saturday night ended up, of course, with uh, with wishes and popcorn uh, I ran into Chris, the economics professor, who happened to recognize me as I was getting my popcorn. And, uh, you know, I did one of my favorite things to do when I'm in Disney World. I just hung around after Wishes and let the park empty out and walk down Main Street and walk through the shops as it starts to get a little bit more deserted. And uh, I just love the Magic Kingdom at night. I-, I love it, especially when, you know, it's empty and you have the goodnight kiss and the music and the lighting. It's just, it's just awesome. It's just awesome to me. I was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) For whatever reason, I don't know why. I crashed early. (laughs) Jeff had one too many congolutions, and you know. Not even even that. I think Jeff had one too many circles around MGM, and (laughs) the feet just weren't holding up. So. so Sunday, unfortunately, you know, we all dread the, the days that you're going to head home. But I did have a few hours to get some things done. I went over to Disney's Animal Kingdom in the morning after after rushing myself out of the room because I wanted to get there early. There were some things I wanted to check out, specifically some merchandise through the park based on what I had seen the day before. Uh, unfortunately, scatterbrain that I am, I forgot something in my room. I forgot something that a cast member had made specifically for me. And, you know, panic sets in. I call the resort. They were very, very helpful at Lost and Found. They said, you know, that the room hasn't been made up yet. Give me your phone number. We'll try and track it down. But because I didn't want this to get thrown out, I hightailed it back to um, Coronado Springs. And I was lucky enough to find uh, a woman from Mousekeeping who didn't clean my room, but she was 
you know, she was one of the people in that area. She found for me the person that was in charge of my room. And, I, and I'm taking a second to, to mention this for a very specific reason. I, I talked about, uh, I, I think in an email, uh, tipping for mousekeeping. And I said, oh, you know, I usually tip at the end of the day. Well, um, a listener, I think his, his name is David, sent me a suggestion said, you know, you shouldn't really wait till the end of the stay because, you know, like a lot of hotels, it's not always the same person who cleans your room every day, especially if you're staying on a weekend. Somebody that cleans your room on Friday may not be the same person on Sunday. So if you leave it for one person, they may not be, you know, sharing it with the people before. So I had started leaving something for them on uh, every day, every morning before I left the room. So I, I found the person who had, had just cleaned my room because I went in and unfortunately my thing was gone. And in her cart, very carefully laid in there. She had the, the the piece of art that was created for me. And when she knew who I was, when I told what room I was, she we couldn't. We, there was a little communication barrier, but it was very easy. She she indicated to me how appreciative she was of what I had done for her, of leaving her something every day, just as I was appreciative of her, not just tearing it up, throwing it away, whatever. She knew that it was something that was going to mean something to me. We were able to kind of get past that communication. We actually hugged each other because, you know, she was thanking me and I was thanking her. And again, even on that level, the cast members doing what they do to, to really make your, your trip something special. I know, I know. I'm getting a tear. I was like, will you, big wuss? Well, whatever. It was a big deal for me because I, I you know, the, the thing, the item meant something to me and, and well, I know I shouldn't have left it in the room in the first place, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I had lunch over at Kona Cafe with Steve Barrett. You know, we, we all know him as the author of The Hidden Mickey's Guide. We had a great lunch. I won't bore you with the details of uh, of what I ate because Jeff O'Rubbin, how, how he ended up having a, a cheeseburger somewhere. But uh, uh, That would have been the Tomorrowland Terror. Yeah, so. <laughs> it was the, the chicken and the mashed potatoes and very nice polite server that said move up to the counter <laughs> <laughs> no steve and i had a great time and steve's on the, steve's been on the show before um we talked for a while he's going to be a regular guest on the show where he's probably going to do a monthly segment all about hidden mickeys and a lot of other fun stuff so uh look for steve probably sometime next month coming back and doing a, a cool hidden mickey segment and then of course jeff I, I i came back and met up with you and this is where the geek factor just just oh skyrocketed. God, yeah. <laughs> I guess we had gotten past that initial, you know, not knowing each other, that you know, awkwardness, discomfort. Not First, awkward. the blind date was over. <laughs> right. <now> we <laughs> <laughs> well, because we, we start talking and we start talking about how we basically were almost shadowing each other, taking pictures of garbage cans and signage and you know boxes and. You know, you're getting funny looks. I'm getting funny looks because I'm also talking into my recorder, trying to answer my cell phone and take pictures all at the same time. But uh, it, it shows that we, we are kindred spirits talking about, you know, some of the funny things that we were, we were picking up and pointing out. Yes, yeah, I had to walk you over to show you the Jungle Cruise crates. And, uh, <laughs> and then we, then I dragged you over to Tomorrowland to show you the Robo News guy and the, yeah, uh, yeah. And the, the, the phone booth. <laughs> so, And again... The funny looks that we were getting around the TTA. (laughs) The funny looks that we were getting as individuals, you know, were magnified. We ran into a friend, um, Arlen Miller. He was from the Florida World Chapter of the NFFC. He's a former president there. He had some friends over from Paramus, New Jersey. Um, They were there for Magic Music Days. And if you've never seen that before, that's something you should definitely check out. That's where they bring in schools and community groups. They perform in the parks. And they actually get to sing in places like the Galaxy Palace Theater. They also take place in workshops or clinics. I'll put a link up in the show notes to find out more about um, 
the Disney Youth Group's website, and and you know if you actually want to bring your group down or your um, school or, or church, whatever it is, to perform there. And then unfortunately, that that was about it, Jeff. We I had to kind of all right tell the monorail stories. <laughs> yes, folks. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're with Lou at the Magic Kingdom and he says, "Hey, hurry up, we can make that monorail train." <laughs> Say no, Lou. We'll catch the next one. Well, because... if you're Lou, hurry me we can make it means I assume that you're right behind me. <laughs> well, okay, let's And now comes the scene that was probably right. I, you know, I don't know. This is uh, the most obscure of references, but if there's somebody out there that has ever seen the movie that's called The Clock, it's a Judy Garland movie <laughs> from the 1940s. And she and her uh, intended, you know, or you know, her boyfriend or whatever from the movie, are in the subway station, and she gets on the subway, and he doesn't. <laughs> and they wave at each other as they. Well, yeah, I, I get that, on. I get that on the was monorail. Lou and Jess. <laughs> I get on the monorail without, without the, the whole romance thing, but. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the doors close. I turn around and start talking to you, and there, there you are on the platform waving, waving. to me. <laughs> you know. Like like I'm leaving you know leaving on on a bus to to go overseas and I'm like what? Uh, uh, Pick up you know pointing you know doing the you know the cell phone you know with my hand right call me my hand up to the window like Jeff yeah yeah, we were just we were saying there you know before we went on the air with this you know if we could put our hands up on the glass geek geek. I felt like it was a scene from Midnight Express or something. And, and again, oh, and Billy. again, all books, you know, the, 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 the cast member, you know, that was the monorail station person there. Just like, what are these two idiots doing? <laughs> Look, you know, you like my kids. You slow me down, I'm going to leave you in the dust. Sorry. <laughs> I love you stranded at the monorail station, but anyway. So needless to say that if we hook up at Mouse Fest or whatever, um, I am not going near a monorail. <laughs> with you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have to get you one of those, you know, one of those little kitty leashes. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, then I've been dragged along. <laughs> Let go. Uh, I do want to say one thing before before we wrap this up. This this segment that I thought was gonna be very short, because uh, when I went back to the airport, I was walking over um, to the gate, and uh, a couple of listeners actually had recognized me and came over, and I want to say hello to to David and Brian and Joy from New Jersey, who's been a long time listener. Uh, from way back, even, even from the old show, we ended up having like a little, you know, WDW radio mini meet at, at the gate in the uh, in the airport, and then you know, unfortunately, you come back to reality and work in New Jersey, and so what's what's the best way to combat that? Start planning for your next trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Start planning for your next trip. Hopefully, uh, in September for the NFFC. So, well, Jeff, we got magic meets before then. That's right. That's right. Which is which is almost as good as being there. Almost, almost as good as being there. Definitely. And I promise I won't leave you uh, <laughs> the elevator doors in between. <laughs> Call me, Lou. Away from the tenth floor. People are gonna talk. People yeah, are gonna well, talk. But not that there's anything wrong with that. But no. <laughs> again, obscure Seinfeld reference. But Jeff, seriously, buddy, it was great to meet you in person. It was yeah. great to spend a little bit of time touring around the parks with you. Um, we'll have to do it, do it some more, and um, you know, and definitely just. Ignore the stares from strangers, but because it was a lot of fun, and I'm sure on, on future seconds we'll talk about some of the things that we investigated, some of the things that we covered while we were there. Okay. Hey, quick shameless plug. Of course. Okay. For all uh, anybody that's down here in the south with me, I'm in North Carolina, and uh, on June 5th, which is just less than a couple weeks away, and well, actually 
almost just a week away, I guess, when the podcast airs. Um, Char- um, Charles Ridgway will be appearing at the Barnes & Noble in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I've heard from quite a few of both uh, North Carolina listeners of this uh, show and uh, readers of my blog and who are in- intending to come, so we're kind of almost creating a sort of mini-meet there, and um, as most folks know, uh, you interviewed Charlie here um, a couple months back um, right. when his book first came out. He'll be signing copies of Spinning Disney's World. So uh, anybody out there that's in the area or that can make the trip over, we look forward to having you show up, and it's going to be a good time. Yeah, definitely take the opportunity to not only meet Charlie, but meet Jeff. <laughs> you probably yes. spend just as much time <laughs> talking to Jeff as you would talking to Charlie. Um both have some some great stories. Charlie, not so much with the monorail, but <laughs> um, yeah, to, to be able to talk uh, to Charlie one on one is really a thrill. The um, there's Lou always links uh, to my blog on the show notes, and there is information at twenty seven nineteen Hyperion about about it. So just check there for all the details. Cool. All right, Jeff. Thanks again, buddy. All right, thanks, Lou. I'm pleased to present to you at this time an interview that I conducted last week with Mark Seppala. He is the Senior Design Manager for Walt Disney Parks and Resorts at the Disney Design Group. He is a wonderfully talented cast member over at Walt Disney World. He's somebody who plays a large part in the creation of much of the souvenirs and park merchandise that we all enjoy, cherish, and collect. I had a chance to sit and chat with Mark outside the Art of Disney store in downtown Disney. I unfortunately feel that I must apologize in advance for some degradation in the audio quality as we are dealing with some equipment and noise issues due to the location of our recording session. You'll hear it mostly on my microphone, which is okay, because Mark is the one with all the great stories and information. I think you're really going to enjoy this. My apologies again for the audio quality, but uh, sit back and enjoy this interview with Mark Seppala. I want to welcome to the show Mark Seppala. He's a senior design manager for Walt Disney Parks and Resorts and a man who I want to make my new best friend because he is in charge of the creation of tons of great merchandise that's sold at the Parks and Resorts. All the seasonal merchandise, home decorations, the souvenirs, and some of our favorites, uh, all the art and collectibles. Mark, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, glad to be here. We are sitting uh, on a beautiful day here in Walt Disney World in, uh, in downtown, Dis- downtown Disney, out- outside of actually a store where some of your merchandise is featured, The Art of Disney. We'll kind of get to that a little bit more later on. But let's kind of start at the beginning. Let's go back and tell me how you got started working with the company. Uh, let's see. Well, it goes back to when I was five years old, actually. Uh, I always wanted to work for Disney. I mean, it was just a dream of mine. I used to take uh, newspaper ads for, like, Cinderella and tear it out of the newspaper and put it on a piece of glass on a gooseneck lamp and trace off of it so I, I was pretending I was an animator and uh, all through high school I just wanted to work for Disney went to art school uh, and actually I majored in animation and, and advertising in art school and all through school I kept telling people I wanted to work for Disney the dean of my school kept telling me you'll never work for Disney the competition is too great and I just looked at him and said yes I will I'll work there someday and uh, so after I graduated from art school, it was right around Vietnam, mm-hmm. and I went into the Navy for four years. And even in the Navy, I still did lots of artwork, you know, a lot of little sketches of the characters, and uh, helped out doing newsletters and things in there. 
and then from there I uh, got out of uh, the Navy in let's see 1972 and did various jobs animation studios design studios and I kept sending down my resume here <laughs> I want to work for Disney I want to I was just you know it's a squeaky wheel I tell everybody right <laughs> so uh, it, I think 10 years had gone by before I said okay this is going to do it. If, if it doesn't work, it wasn't meant to be. And I sent uh, an illustration I did of Mickey at Typhoon Lagoon, uh, and I sent it over to the marketing division. It was over in Sunbank Building at the time. And I was living in Boston at the time, and my mother was in West Palm Beach. So I sent out the letter to Disney down here, and um, I went down to visit my mother. And then by the time I got down there, she said, there's a... It was either a telegram or a message that uh, the people up in, in uh, Orlando want to interview you. And I didn't have a portfolio with me. I didn't have any of my you know, work with me other than one little tiny sheet. Uh, we call it tear sheet. And it had some, um, had some artwork that I had done for, I think, Disney consumer products for Disney babies and some backgrounds that I had done for a McDonald's commercial. So it was just like a one sheet. So I came up here. And uh, I met with uh, Dale Moore, who was in charge of resort design at the time. And it's funny, when you hand somebody a portfolio or something, they, a switch goes off and it's like, you can only do one thing, you can't do anything. So he looks at my stuff and he goes, oh, this guy can only do characters, you know. But I had a, a big background doing brochures and logos and all that stuff. And so he said, well, they're putting a, an attractions merchandise group together. Maybe you should go over there and talk to them. So after... Ten years, I go over there and I talked to. I talk, started talking to John Fulcher, who was the head of the department at the time, and he gave me like five jobs in like five <laughs> minutes. So I did freelance work for him for like six months, and they couldn't find anybody to head up the department to manage the artists. <laughs> and um, one thing led to another, and I got the job. From freelance to manager that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and they called me up one day, and they, after interviewing with people out in California and down here. They called me up and they said, uh, gave me the job description and told me what I'd be doing. They said, would you like the job? And it was like, I was doing cartwheels, you know, and the... And the <laughs> Tried to play it cool. Right, but right. Very cool, cool. Very cool. Very cool. And they said, when can you be here? And I said, two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. No, two weeks. Let me wrap it up. So I was down here in two weeks. So that was 17 years ago. It was funny when I, when I first went into my office when uh, Bob Bowman, who was head of, head of the department at the time, Said, here's your office and I walked in it's you know it's a nice big office and I'm looking around I'm going I wonder where I'll be in five years will I still be here will I be doing something different and here it is 17 Seven years later. same office no 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 many different offices <laughs> and it just it's gone by like that and when, when you so when you started in that position what kind of uh, what, what kind of jobs were you doing what kind of merchandise were you designing I did it all back then we only had five artists so we did everything wow we did the soft lines and the hard lines when you say soft line or hard soft line? lines would be clothing, okay. uh, jewelry, and then hard lines is any like souvenir items and water globes and things like okay. that, pins. So it was, it was a real juggling act trying to get the artists on staff to do stuff plus manage a freelance. At some point after that, you started to get um, you started to get more involved in the design of Disney pins, correct? That was yeah, years later. Uh, we we kind of like segmented the. Uh, the art group, and so everybody had like a specific job that they were doing. You know, either it was a park or a, uh, a category. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, 
must must be about eight years ago I took on pins so I, I did that for like five years it was, it was fun every because every pin is like a an individual little piece of artwork. Piece of art. Yeah. Tell us a little about the, the process of making a pin because you know we talked before we started recording about the whole process of, of creating some of the artwork and the collectibles and even things like frames. Um, I, I can imagine the process of, of creating a pin from you know concept to reality. Who you know who comes up with the idea and, and how does it go from? Well, we deal with product developers who it's their responsibility to put the whole assortment together and uh, get it into the shops. So they will come up with a plan and they need to do say oh 10 Mickey pins for the year and you know that's just one little <laughs> item and what they will do is they will write up a work order or an art request for the 10 pins individual request and one might be I want one with Mickey and Minnie uh, on a beach I want one with them at downtown Disney one at Animal Kingdom so you're you basically run the show from there. I mean, you, you show the concepts to the product developers. You might tweak it a little bit, a little bit, and um, just go to final on, uh, from there. I mean, it's, it's pretty quick. What do you think the time frame is from when you get the initial concept? It depends. If their <laughs> hair is on fire, you know, and they need it right away, you, know, you can turn one around in, you know, a few days. But wow. if you've got, you know, we do a lot of pin sets, mm. frame pin sets. Um, uh, like if it's for seasonal you might do a whole group so you know it can run from months to like a couple of days it depends were you ever able to say you know I have a great idea for a, a Peter Pan pin and sketch it out and then present somebody and say hey this might be a good idea for a pin or was everything basically dictated to you where no, I, you know if I if I come up with an idea of something I'll pitch it to the product developer and they might say well we don't want to do it right now but you know save it and we'll use it later what do you think about the uh, especially over the past few years, this exponential growth in pin trading and, and you know, and, and where it's gone it's from probably when you first started. You know, when we first, I can remember the first time I ever signed the back of a pin, I think it was a cast member, came up to me and said, would you sign the back of it? And I was going like, sure, you know, it's gonna be kind of <laughs> tiny. And it just took off from there. And then the Olympics, mm -hmm. there was a lot of pin trading going on there. And um, we, like I said, it just took off. It was like a rocket. It's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. And I swore I would never get involved in pin trading. And now I have a bag full of pins and my daughter's involved. And it's, uh, it, it, the growth has just been incredible. Well, you know, I do the artwork for the pins. I don't necessarily buy the pins, but I was cleaning my living room today and there's a big bag behind the sofa with pins. <laughs> Where'd these come from, you know? Things that I've bought and, you know, people have given me. Just amazing. Pin traders right now are going, oh my God, I'd love to look in that bag of right, pins. He I probably know, yeah. has, uh -huh. you know, this holy grail of pins that everybody looks for. I actually did put uh, a frame set together of pins that I did that I really like. So I have that, that in my house. you have any, uh, a personal favorite, either pin or, or piece of artwork or character that you've done that you like? I like doing the villains. Um, as far as pins go, you know, there's been so many, I can't put my, finger on one. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I enjoyed doing the pin sets. There was a, uh, a pin event that we did and I did uh, a group of uh, mice mm -hmm. and it, the background was a big piece of cheese and they were all superimposed coming out of the holes in the cheese. I think that was kind of fun to work on that. So in addition to pins, what other kind of uh, 
What other kind of merchandise? You said some of the hard and soft things. What are you doing now? What kind of merchandise do you work on now? Well, you know, I used to do probably 90% artwork and 10% administrative. Now it's probably 10% if that artwork <laughs> and the other administrative. So I get to be kind of like Walt said, be like a little bee and go around, make sure everybody's <laughs> busy. Um, I might come up with a concept and then hand it off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So right now we're working on seasonal for 2008-2009. You know, we work pretty far out. I was going to say, that, that's how far in advance yeah. you really go out. Um, home deck, we're kind of give that a big push. Mm -hmm. So there's some new stuff coming out there. Uh, art and collectibles is kind of like ongoing. You know, there's as a constant. It's not something that you know has like peaks and valleys. Uh, and souvies, that's ongoing too. I mean, we're continually making changes to our souvie market. Yeah. So souvenirs, you're saying basic, I mean, you know, almost from soup to nuts, anything we'll pick up in yep. a park are, yep. are items that you work on. We had, we had a brainstorm the other day, and we want to give a new boost to our uh, danglers. Mm -hmm. And I have a dangler in my car that I've had for years, and we don't carry it anymore. And it's Mickey with like a little parachute on his back with goggles, <laughs> like he's flying. So I said to the product developer, you know, why don't we bring that back and do like a whole line? So she's okay with the idea. Hasn't put in a request for it yet, but I'm already, I've already been doing some sketches. You know. I mean, it just lends itself to being, a, you know, a, a dangler if it's a parachute mm -hmm. or something, you know, like they've jumped out of a plane or Peter Pan or character like that. Anything, any flying character. And I've got some really cute ideas if she buys off on this, I can't tell you what they are, <laughs> for our danglers that we're going to do. I, I, it could be really cute. It's something we haven't done before. Yep. You have pieces in here? You have work that you've done in here, you think? Somewhere, probably. You know, um, it, it's funny, when we first, when I first started with Disney, we had a, an artist on staff, Russell Schroeder, who was really, he was probably one of the best character artists we ever had. And I went out and bought a t-shirt or something, and I said, Russell, did you do this? And he scratched his head and he goes, I don't remember doing that, you know, I can't remember if I did that or not. And I thought, this guy's crazy, you know, he can't remember artwork that he's done. And sure enough, you know, somebody comes up to me and says, you know, Mark, did you do this? And I go, gee, I don't, I don't remember, might, might be. And the, the thing of it is, some of the artists, their style kind of mimics each other. So it's like, I'll look at a piece of artwork and think, did Alex do this? Did Brian do this? Did I do this? Did somebody else that used to work for us do it? And I have to go back and kind of pick my brains, you know, to figure out if I did it. <laughs> so even though, you know, you obviously have to be so true to the form of characters, especially, you know, the classics, Mickey Mouse, you're able to distinguish sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny, you put a little piece of yourself in there. Um, we had an artist, Mark Deli, who worked for us for years, and I could always tell his Mickeys because they were short and squat. <laughs> and, you know, another character artist uh, that was with us, you could always tell his Mickeys because they were a little bit taller and slimmer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, certain things that you do, like whenever I do a character, I always put the back of the throat in for some reason or other. I don't know why. <laughs> so that's the Mark Seppola trademark. Yeah, it's the back one of them. <laughs> you know, the other artists do it, but, you know, that could be the one that could be mine. And, and you know, the casual guest, the casual observer would never probably pick no. up uh, on those differences, on the subtle no. differences. No. Because you're really, you're, you're given strict guidelines in order to keep the integrity of the, of the characters. Uh -huh. um, are there like reference models you work on, or you just know? I, you know, I know how to draw Goofy. I know how to draw Donald. 
I don't. I've, I haven't gotten to the point where I can just, you know, I can, I can do like a sketch of a character, mm -hmm. but I would never put it on product without having a model sheet or some reference in front of me, because you have to be right on model. And even now, each each uh, team has a senior character artist on that team, and the other um, associate character artist or character artist will go to the senior and say, what do you think, you know, is this okay? And, and I do the same thing, I'll, I'll go in there, you know, you're always improving yourself. It must, and it must be, you know, so rewarding, like giving birth without the pain to it's finally right. see you. That's what <laughs> see I, I always equate that to like giving birth. You know, like <laughs> when I was doing pins, you know, you do like a thumbnail, and then you do a tight pencil, then you do your inking, and then you do the color, and then it goes away, and then the sample comes back, and you go, wow. <laughs> and it, but it, it's almost like somebody else did it. Mm -hmm. You know, when I see stuff in the shops that I've done, like I didn't do that. The other guy, you know, that works at Disney did. It. It's really funny, but it's a real pleasure going somewhere. Like when I go on ski trips, uh, I've gone to Breckenridge a number of times, and I've been in, uh, you know, a restaurant somewhere, and somebody will have a T-shirt that I did, and I go up to them, "Hey, I did that artwork." And they look at you like you had two heads yeah. first, you know, because they, you know, they think it comes out of a machine, right. and then you explain to them what you do and. The next thing you know, you're drawing Mickey or Minnie for them, mm. and then there's a line behind you, and then my friends are going, hey, you know, we're going to get on the lift. But it's really, it's so much fun seeing, uh, you know, somebody's face light up when you do just a little Mickey for right. them, or, uh, you know, Donald or something. Yeah. And like I said, it's like an out-of-body experience. It's mm. not me, it's somebody else doing it. I mean, I can only imagine how rewarding it is. Uh, because, like I said, I know my reaction when I've gotten pieces that come right from the arts. Because if you look at something in the store, you don't associate it with, with the real person behind right, it. Right. Um, and when that person is doing it for you, or that person's there, I'd probably have you sign my shirt too. <laughs> you, know? you know, the same thing happened, um, you know, growing up, my idols were Ivan Earl, especially. I mean, the guy was a genius. Uh, Mark Davis, Frank and Ollie. And then when I came to work at Disney, I actually got to meet my mentors, and it's like, I am not worthy. Mark, been with the company um, for so many years. You know, you mentioned some of the names that we're all familiar with. What about some of the other people that you've met? Uh, either people that you've worked with or, or people that work for the company that you really just... Well, like I said, you know, my idols that I've met, Mark Davis and Ivan Earl and Frank and Ollie and all those people. but. You know, not only them, it's it's the people that I work with on a daily basis. You know, I walk down the halls and it's I get intimidated, you know, it's like all this talent around. And you know, I'm part of it, but like I said, it's like, it's that other guy, you know, that does the work. Um, you know, like Brian Blackmore and Alex Mayer and all those guys, they're just so talented. And, and the funny thing is, I hired them. <laughs> I was gonna say, you, you are, you know, you're the leader of this, of the well, elite of the elite. Well, one of, one of them. <laughs> one of them. There's nobody else is listening. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, the artists that, that work for Disney are the elite of the elite, and you know, to be to be part of that company just must be amazing. You know, when I first started interviewing to, to you know make the staff bigger years ago, you know, 17 years ago, I always wanted the best, and it wasn't necessarily the best artist but the passion behind it. That's what I was looking for. I mean, if you don't have the passion, it's gonna show in your work. Um, you don't wanna have somebody that has a big ego. Um, you want somebody that, that 
loves Disney, loves the history. Um, like I said, I grew up with it. And you, it's funny, when you talk to most of the character artists, it's like a broken record. Ever since I was five years old, I wanted to work with it. You know, it's the same thing. It's, 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 it's amazing. And even now, when we, we more or less hire by committee, you know, there's a, a lot of layers that they have to go through to, you know, to hire somebody on staff now. But, and, it, and it's a good thing. But even now, when we have, when we're hiring a character artist, the main thing I look for is the talent and the passion. Um, it's a plus. As you were saying that, it, it was reminiscent of a conversation I had with Ralph Kent um, a long time ago, because he said that same thing. And all of you, when you talk about it, you, you do, you, you exude that kind of passion because you can clearly see that you love what you do. There this are, is not a job for you. This there is, are babies, you know. I, <laughs> I, I, when I tell the, the product developers, we're the character cops. You know, we're the police. Um, and we want to protect our babies, you know, to make sure that they're not doing anything wrong and they're not interfering in each other's worlds. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we can be seen as emotional and aloof or uh, however you want to say it, but we just want to protect the brand and protect our family, you know. And speaking to Alex and Brian, that's exactly what they said, and they were very serious when they talked about the integrity of, of their characters and what they draw, and you don't realize the thought process that goes into when you see multiple characters in an environment or in a storyboard together, the placement of them and where they're looking and, and the, who's touching and who's not touching is very, very well thought out. It's not random what you see. I, I think most guests, don't realize when we when you look at what we call a storybook scene with all the characters in it, they don't realize, you know, it looks like they're all having a great time mm -hmm. together, but they they don't interact with each other. You wouldn't see um, Scar standing next to Bambi, you know, looking down like well, that's my <laughs> next meal, right, right, you, you, because they're in separate worlds. You wouldn't have Snow White on the phone mm -hmm. or with a calculator. We 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 try and keep that separate and when we're developing product to be current it's kind of a challenge because you want to you want to be contemporary you want to bring up to be up to date but you don't want to cross that line where you're you're jeopardizing the brand and the, the there's a limited number of characters right, right. I guess that could skateboard and be on right. a motorcycle or, or whatever it is and right Cinderella's probably not one of them no <laughs> you talked about you know the hiring process briefly and a question that for some reason, I get, and I'm sure you must get uh, on a daily basis as well, you know, I'm an artist, and, and I love to draw, and, and I'm the kid that's been drawing since I'm five, and I want to work for, for Disney, or I want to be part of the design group. Uh, how, what, what would somebody do if, if this is really what they want? I, I always tell, tell the students, you know, and I've been to different art schools, um, uh, recruiting students, be focused. Um, don't be wishy-washy. Like I said, I, it took me, or since I was five and it took me ten years, you know, to get into Disney. You've got to have a focus and know what you want. Um, and don't let anybody um, talk you out of it if you really want it. Um, that, that's the main thing. And have that passion that, that you talked about. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, before I worked for Disney, I worked at various 
design studios and ad agencies. Um, I worked at an animation studio for a short time. But it's funny, all during that time, whenever I was designing something, whether it was a logo or a brochure or whatever, I would say, how would they do it at Disney? Mm -hmm. You know, because they were the experts on it. In my world, that they were the best. And, um, you know, that's what I do today. Just try and do the best I can. The difference I, I'm, I seem to, to gather from you is it, it's one thing to design something for somebody else where you're not maybe almost emotionally attached to it, whereas in Disney, you, you do almost need to be a fan and you do have that attachment to the characters and to the product and it's not it's not just a job, it's an adventure. It's, it's more than a, than a job to you. It's more than just a product that you're put, putting out. It's funny, I go to meetings and there'll be all these adults sitting in this meeting, you know, different ages and we're all talking about Mickey and Goofy and Donald and I'm sitting there sometimes in my head going, wow, you know? <laughs> you talk about them as if they're people, as if yeah, they're... But, you know, somebody's got to do it. That, that's all. <laughs> but it's, it's fun. It's just a, it's a great job. I, and, you know, I've never, ever gotten up in the morning and say, oh, i got to go to work this morning. And I have friends that, you know, they hate their jobs and they don't like going to work and, and all that. And, and you know, they, they think my job is all better roses. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot, you know, that you have to um, take care of. But I wouldn't change it for anything. Mm -hmm. I can imagine, and, and you're right. It probably does come come across as being a better roses, but it's a job like any other job. But you know, working for Disney and doing what you do. Um. Like I said, you know, just the the talented people that I've met, not only in our department, but like WDI and entertainment. You know, the parade people, costuming. It just it blows me away sometimes when I see. Like you said, it's like giving birth. Mm -hmm. You know, the the floats that Cody Reynolds did. I, they were water globes, and the, the entertainment department actually took those and made floats out of them. That was something. That was a plus for our department. Um, it's just awesome. Do you find yourself, do you go to the parks? I mean, if you're, are you a fan, do you go to the parks and then, well, maybe stop at the Emporium on the way out and see if you can pick out some of the... I, I do, and I try and stay away because I know <laughs> out comes the checkbook, you know. And I, you know, I, I buy my fair share of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, less people think that, you know, you design things, what means you get it all for free. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have to buy it like everybody else. But it, it's, it's great. And the great thing is, like, you know, when Christmas rolls around, I can buy some things that either I've designed or other artists have designed, mm -hmm. and, you know, we can have the artists sign them. Mm -hmm. I know we have, um, there's a Christmas party that I go to every year, and I bring an ornament, and it's signed, and we play that game where you, there's like 20 gifts on the table and the first one picks it. And then, oh, like a Yankee yeah, swap. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm telling you, they like fight over the <laughs> Disney one. It's like, I want to be invited to your house for Christmas. <laughs> it's funny, if you walk into my house, you probably wouldn't know I work for Disney unless you go into my studio. And then it looks like a cyclone hit it. And I, you know, I was looking around today, it's like, I gotta clean this up. It's, it's crazy. We'll be trolling eBay for the for the marks yeah, up in the yeah, user no. name. <laughs> All right, Mark. Before I let you go, I, I have to ask the obligatory question: What's next on the uh, What's next on the agenda? What could we look for maybe coming out of the design group? A lot of cool stuff. How's that? <laughs> um, I got, you know, 
it, it's like a kid asking, you know, what did I get for Christmas or what's in the package? You know, I don't want to spoil the surprise. Um, there, there's some neat things in development, you know, even in downtown Disney that are going to happen soon. Um, the product, it's, it's always changing. You know, it's, and I, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking forward to it. Based on what I've seen in the past, and I've seen some of your, your print work, and obviously, um, if you see my credit card receipts, you'll see a fan of, of purchasing souvenirs while I'm down here as well. Um, Mark Seppola, Senior Design Manager for Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for all that you do to help create the magic for us and, and lighten our checkbooks on the way home as well. You, you truly are among the very elite and artists, and uh, we do all appreciate what you do and what you create. I'm just a little guy, you know, and in a big, huge company. You know, like I said, it's, it's almost like somebody else has done this stuff. It's not me. It's, you know, the Mark Suppler that goes to DDG that, that does it, not me. Well, you know what, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, you know, when we buy a piece of, of merchandise or when we buy a pin or a shirt, you have no idea who the person is behind it, how it came to be from that person's mind, from that person's hand. And it's important for, for me to let you know that we do appreciate it, that it's not something that we just buy and throw on a shelf. It, it's something that, you know, we love and often treasure and, and you know. You know, and I know because, you know, I collect the stuff too. <laughs> and, you know, I have things on my shelf at home and it's like, don't anybody touch it, keep your hands off of. And luckily I know, you know, I can find out who did it, but you know, some I don't know. You know, I have some old pieces of artwork that you know go way back. That you know, they I treasure them, yeah, so I I know how the guests feel. Oh, good, because we do appreciate it, and I appreciate you taking your time and coming down here and meeting me. Thank you. Uh, this is a lot of fun for me. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank Jeff Pepper for coming on to discuss our recent trip to Walt Disney World. A big thanks goes out to Mark Seppola from the Disney Design Group for coming on. And as always, thanks to you, the listener, for supporting and listening to the show. Don't forget to visit the WDWRadio.com website for more information as well as lots of photos on this week's show notes all about the topics we discussed, links to older episodes and more. There you'll also find links to other friends of the show as well as to our friends over at The Magic for Less Travel. There you can get a free, no-obligation quote for any Disney vacation. I've said it before, they offer outstanding services which are completely free to you. They offer daily discount checking services for your reservations and have tons of great promotions going on right now. Don't forget that the free dining is still available if you book by June 24th. They have plenty of uh, other packages and specials available, so contact them with any questions or inquiries you might have. On upcoming show, we have more in our Epcot retrospective series, interviews, trivia, new contests, a ton of your listener feedback to get to and more. Don't forget that I'm still looking for your input on the next of the Seven Wonders of Walt Disney World, which as I announced as being cast members. I want you to share your stories or your thoughts about why cast members are one of the true Seven Wonders of Walt Disney World. You can call the voicemail at 206 202 wdw Remember, you can also email me anytime with questions, comments, or suggestions to lou at wdwradio.com. 
Also, please come by the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com to talk with other listeners and readers about the show. It's fun. It's free. We consider it to really be the happiest forum on Earth. And we just passed the 20,000 member mark in just over three years, but we still remain a very close, warm, and welcoming family. Come on by and check it out. Uh, also, I want to mention a couple of people you should go and check out. And that's the Mousevine feed and the WDW-Memories.net podcast. I'm going to post links to that up in the show notes. And if you're going to be in the Walt Disney World area in June, why don't you stop by the NFFC's World Chapter Meeting. That's Saturday, June 23rd. Their special guest is going to be Greg Airbar. He's a two-time Grammy-nominated writer, producer, as well as also the author of Mouse Tracks, which is the first comprehensive history of Walt Disney's in-studio recording company. You can visit them at Mousetracks online for more information. So I sincerely want to thank you all again for tuning in this week. Please help spread the word to your friends and family and our other communities online. Have a great week. See Hey, Lou. This is uh, Brian Trailer. I'm actually where you go on the forums. I'm, I'm, I'm quite busy all the time, so I'm not on the forums as much. But uh, I just want to say I'm a long-time listener. I've listened to um, both, of course, the Mount Tunes and uh, WW Radio, and also I own both of your books. But uh, um, just a, a quick uh, quick phone call to say thanks for all you do. Um, like you, um, I, I was fortunate enough to have grandparents live near Disney um, when I was young, so I, I got to visit the parks um, at least once a year with them. So they lived actually in Wildwood, Florida, so um, Disney... Uh, this podcast is really enjoyable just for just for that fact for me having so much knowledge as well um now that you've come i guess the wdw radio i really enjoy the the jeff pepper segments um i think both of you are very very knowledgeable and um i guess the chemistry and and how how both of you feed off each other is uh is really entertaining and uh, uh, i enjoy it so um uh, anyway, I've uh, listened to all the shows. Oh, there's one more thing I was going to tell you. The, the interviews, the interviews that you do are, are great. For instance, the uh, the railroad. Um, forgive me, I can't remember his name, but um, he was talking about how when he asked Walt, "How did you do all this?" and he said, "The four C's." Um, you know, I, Walt is is a hero of mine, just like Jim Henson. So, you know, hearing hearing stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, it is is pretty awesome. So, um, thanks again for what you're doing, man. I know it takes time and energy, and uh, and the charity work you're doing and everything too, with uh, sending the family down is is just fantastic. So, Lou, I certainly appreciate it. I'm enjoying every one of your shows, and um, we'll talk to you later, man. See you. Hey, Lou, just listening to the uh, Star Wars Weekend episode, and just. <laughs> cracking up hearing uh, Hoshberg and Johnson Dichter and yourself geeking out and really making me get in touch with my inner Star Wars geek that I never was able to quite uh, let out but really funny show I appreciate I appreciate Hoshberg being on there and uh, like all the guys at WDW radio but he just uh, probably scored about a hundred dozen cool points for Coming out of his uh, coming out into the uh, geek world, there Star Wars. So it was really funny, and I appreciate it. Uh, keep up the good work, it's Tim and Lawrenceville. Uh, oh, I know you're in uh, 
WDW. I hope you're having a great time, man. I'm looking forward to making it to Christmas at Christmas time. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is Rachel in Indiana. It's about six after midnight on May 25th, and I am just now leaving one of the first showings of Parts of the Caribbean at World's End, and I just had to call with my reaction. Let me say, oh my goodness, absolutely wonderful. I don't want to give away any of the any of the uh, storylines because I'd hate to, hate to spoil it for anybody that may not get to see it right away, but absolutely fantastic. Visually, it is absolutely stunning. Some of the best visual effects I have ever seen in all the movies I've seen, and I, you know, nowadays, you know, with, with the visual effects, they can do just about anything. Disney has absolutely outdone themselves on this one. Let me say, when they get to the final showdown, let me just say, when the rain starts falling, hold on to your armrest because you're in for a wild, wild, wild ride. And the story, absolutely brilliant. Um, there are some bits that are kind of slow, but, you know, you get over that when, you know, once they get into the real meat and potatoes of the story, as one might say. Um, at the end, it, it kind of leaves it to, it, it ties up some loose ends for some of the characters. Um, I will certainly say that, you know, if they do decide to make more and Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley decide they don't want to do it anymore, that, uh, that, that, that I think they could do that. Um, it would be a shame to, without, without them in it, because they're absolutely brilliant too, but, uh, uh, you know, really it's uh, 50-50, they re could really do it either way, and as for Johnny Depp, absolutely another brilliant performance as Captain Jack Sparrow, Jeffrey Rush as Captain Barbosa, absolutely fantastic Kelly on Fat, um, absolutely amazing uh everybody keith richards you know he's he he does he's not in there for a very long time but when he is in there he's you know absolutely he fits right in uh, as, as the party place is what most people know that he plays uh jack sparrow's father uh absolutely fits that role to a t and uh for those of you that uh, uh may not be that uh or as a, as a final little hint um uh, let me certainly say that as with the past two movies, do not leave when the credits start rolling. Stay until after the credits. They've they certainly added that last little bit, just like they have with the last two films. You don't want to miss it. That is certainly just the icing on the cake to the end of the film. But I will stop babbling now. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend seeing this movie as soon as possible. I will probably be seeing it again at least once or twice more during the Memorial Day weekend. Um, I, I just can't say enough things about how amazing this movie is and is absolutely worth the two hours and 45 minutes that it runs. Uh, it, it's just, it's two thumbs up, four stars, five, five stars, whatever you call it, 10 out of 10 absolutely brilliant uh keep up with the good work uh lou love the podcast uh can't wait to uh hear the next episode and see ya